Well, let's read together from God's Word as we find it in the book of Mark and chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be reading from verse 21 to verse 34 of Mark chapter 5. It's on page 1013 if you're using one of the church Bibles. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. In these monthly guest services, we're working our way through uh, some of the stories uh, of Mark's gospel, uh, finding out what it teaches us about who Jesus is, uh, what he came to do, and what it means to follow him. And uh, we have a great example of that in this passage that we're going to be thinking about this evening. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked round to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please turn with me again to that passage of Mark's gospel that we read just a few moments ago, Mark chapter 5, and in particular to verses 25 to 34. Again, it's page 1013 in the Church Bible. Mark chapter 5, 25 
to 34. Faith is one of the most popular words and ideas in the English language. And part of its appeal, uh, it seems to me, is that no one seems to know really quite what it means. Uh, it, it, it seems to mean just about anything. Uh, you hear it all the time in films, don't you? Uh, one character says to another, it'll be okay, I have faith. Or, don't worry, just have some faith. It features again and again in pop songs. There can be miracles when you believe. Anything can happen when you believe. Faith in what exactly is never spelt out, and it doesn't really seem to matter anyway. The only thing that matters seems to be having faith. Faith in faith itself seems to be the great thing. As long as it's strong, as long as it's sincere, then faith is valuable. And so posters and memes with inspirational quotes uh, abound on the internet, like this one by Thomas Munson. It was just it happened to be the first one that came up on a Google search that I did. Uh, he said, you can achieve what you believe you can. Trust and believe and have faith. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That sounds inspiring. I have no idea what it means. I'm not sure if Thomas Munson himself knows exactly what he means by it. But that's the kind of thing that you hear all the time, isn't it? But faith can be incredibly damaging. Faith can even be a dangerous thing. How many people are there who humiliate themselves on shows like The X Factor and Britain's Got Talent because they wholeheartedly, sincerely believe that they can sing or they can dance? They believe what Thomas Monson says. You can achieve what you believe you can. Trust and believe and have faith. And so they go out on stage in front of millions and millions of people and humiliate themselves. It can be a, a damaging thing. Never mind those who commit unspeakable atrocities because of the unshakable convictions of their faith. Jihadists who blow themselves up in crowded marketplaces because of what they believe. The Bible says that Christians are saved by faith. The Bible says that Christians are people who live by faith. In fact, the Bible says that faith is the only thing that counts it talks about faith over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of times. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be saved by faith? Well, that's exactly what this story is about. 
because it helps us to understand what it means to be saved by faith. It shows us what faith is by giving us a case study in someone with faith. The key verse comes right at the end in verse 34, where Jesus says to this woman at the center of the story, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, there is much more to faith than what we see here in this story, but there is not less than what we see here. And so true faith, Christian faith, must include at least these three things that we see in this woman, in this story. First of all, faith means believing that we are in desperate need. Faith means believing that we are in desperate need. Certainly, this woman believed that. Her desperation is very, very clear, isn't it? Verse 25 tells us that she has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And every single little detail that we are given about her situation builds up a picture of this poor woman's misery. Twelve years of weakness. Can you remember all the way back to 2011? That's how long this woman has been suffering from this debilitating illness. Try to imagine suffering from some chronic debilitating illness all those years. Twelve years. It's an embarrassing, very, very personal problem. Women's medical problems were not sympathetically or effectively treated in the ancient Near East. In fact, they haven't been sympathetically treated for, uh, uh, well, until the last hundred years at the very least. Rabbinic writings uh, from the time of Jesus list 11 different remedies for this kind of problem that this woman had. And I'll not go into details, but suffice it to say that none of them would have been any help at all. And indeed, it seems that this woman has tried all 11 of those remedies and probably many, many others as well, because it tells us in verse 26 that she had gone to many doctors. She had got a second opinion and a third opinion and a fourth opinion and a tenth opinion and a twentieth opinion. She has spent all her income she has poured all her savings into this issue. She has sent good money after bad, spending all that she has on these cures. But not only did they not help her, she only got worse. No one has been able to bring her any relief at all. And then as if her physical suffering isn't bad enough, there's the social element, the psychological element, because the Old Testament law pronounced a woman with this kind of flow of blood ceremonially unclean. 
And that meant that she couldn't go to worship at the temple or even in the synagogue. And worse than that, this ceremonial impurity was transmitted to anyone who touched her or even sat in a chair that she happened to sit in. And if you contracted this ceremonial impurity from her, then you would have the hassle of bathing and washing your clothes in order to purify yourself. And so very quickly in a community like this, this woman would have gained a reputation. She would have been known by everybody as a bearer of impurity, a walking contaminant. People would have avoided her like someone who smells bad. They don't want to go anywhere near her. They don't want to be contaminated. They don't want the inconvenience of, of any kind of contact with a woman like this. Can you imagine what that would be like for 12 years? Everywhere you go, people pull back. They cross the street. They leave the room as soon as they see you coming. And then, as if all of this isn't bad enough, uh, there was a stigma attached, wrongly attached, to this kind of illness, adding further insult to injury. It's hard for us quite to grasp this. We don't have these same categories of clean and unclean, ceremonially pure and impure today. But we do categorize diseases, don't we? And there are some diseases that are respectable and some that are not so much. Depression, HIV, venereal disease. A cloud of suspicion hangs over people with certain diseases in some people's minds. And it's not hard to imagine people wrinkling up their noses and curling their lips in a sneer of contempt when they see this woman approaching. And all of this has been going on, dragging on for 12 years. And she's only getting poorer and weaker and more and more isolated. And no one is able to do anything to help her. When she wakes up in the morning and all through every day of her life and the last thing at night before she eventually falls, to sleep, uh, falls asleep, she is constantly aware of this problem. It defines her. It molds her life. It is a situation of desperate need. Now, we may not suffer from this particular affliction. But Mark, intend, Mark intends us to see this as a picture of the sickness of sin. That's why this story is here. That's, that's why all the healing stories are there in, in the Gospels. It's a picture of the sickness of sin. Because you and I, by nature, left to ourselves, we are every bit as helpless and our situation is every bit as desperate as this woman's. We're guilty before God. 
Our sins make us unclean and defiled in the sight of God. We're not fit to stand in his presence. Except it's far worse. It's not just that God crosses the street to avoid us because of the defilement of our sins. He he sends us to hell. He has to judge us. He has to punish us to all eternity. That's how toxic our sins are. We're not fit to be in his presence. They alienate us from God. They alienate us from one another. They create division and strife. Our sin debilitates us. It saps away, it leeches away our joy and our peace and our strength. And there is no cure, not from any human being. Psalm 49 verse 7 says, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly and no payment is ever enough. And just like this woman with her bleeding, people try all kinds of different remedies, don't they, to try to cure their problem, this sickness of the soul. They're trying to staunch the bleeding. They're trying to deal with this problem that is deep inside them. They're trying to stop the bleeding of a guilty conscience, an accusing conscience. They're trying to to blot out the sense of guilt and accountability to God, the idea that perhaps there is going to be a day of reckoning when they will be judged for how they've lived. They're trying desperately to inject some kind of meaning and purpose and hope into their lives. There's an emptiness deep inside them that they are trying to fill. And just like this woman, they they try all kinds of different things. Anything that might perhaps offer some kind of relief. Perhaps they spend thousands and thousands of pounds on counseling. Perhaps they spend on buying new stuff, retail therapy. Perhaps they always have to have a, a holiday to look forward to, to keep them going, or trying one hobby after another. Maybe it's the the, the goal of getting a new house, moving to a bigger house, getting a new job, starting a new relationship. Other people take refuge in drugs, or in alcohol, or in sex. Other people throw themselves into work. They try all kinds of different things to try to deal with this problem that's inside them. And no matter what they do, there is no human solution that can cure this root problem. In fact, at the end of the day, they only make things worse instead of better. This is the desperate need that we have as human beings. We're in a deep pit And we need someone to pull us out. The whole human race is down in this same pit. We can't help one another. We can't climb up on top of one another's shoulders to get out. That's our situation. And we need to believe that that's the condition we're in. Or else we won't do anything about it.
Faith means believing that we are in desperate need. But then, secondly, faith means trusting in Jesus Christ to save us. Faith means trusting in Jesus Christ to save us. That's the second thing that we see very clearly in this story. True faith always leads to action. If you really believe that you are in a desperate situation, then you will act. If you really believe, for example, that this building is on fire, and it isn't, by the way, but if you really believe that it was, you wouldn't carry on calmly sitting here, no matter how comfortable the new pew cushions might be. You, you, you would grab your children, and you would get everybody out as quickly as possible, and you would call the fire brigade. Your belief would lead you to act. And that's what happens here. This woman's faith, uh, this woman's desperate situation drives her to act. Everyone else has failed her. There's no doctor in the world that is able to help her. But she's heard about Jesus, and she believes that he can help her where everyone else has failed her. She's heard about Jesus healing all kinds of diseases, even hopeless cases like hers. She's heard about how he has touched a leper and made him well. She's heard about many people with diseases touching him and being healed. Chapter 3, verse 10, uh, it says, He had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And then just in the next chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 56, uh, it, it says, Wherever he came, Jesus, in villages, cities, or countryside, they led the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, were made well. She believes that Jesus can do what no one else could do. She believes that Jesus can heal her. Verse 28, we hear her voice inside her own head. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And she doesn't go to anyone else. She knows that no one else can help. She doesn't try to touch anyone else's clothes. She doesn't try to touch the clothes of Peter or James or John. No, only Jesus' clothes. Faith means trusting in Jesus Christ to save us. And it's just the same for us. This and this alone is how we are saved from the sickness of sin. It's by trusting Jesus Christ it means recognizing that no one else can save us. Faith means reaching out to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and trusting that he can and that he will save us. It means trusting that this is why he came into the world in the first place, that he left heaven and came down to earth in order to save lost people. 
It means believing that he has lived a life of perfect obedience to God for us in our place because we can't live a life of perfect obedience for ourselves. It means believing that he has taken the punishment that we deserve for all of our rebellion against God when he died on the cross in our place. It means believing that only someone who is truly God and truly human is able to take our place in this way, to live the life that we can't live, to die the death that we deserved, and to save us. It means believing that Jesus is the one, the Savior of the world, and that there is no one else who can save us. You imagine a man who's just been shipwrecked in the middle of the icy waters of the Atlantic Ocean. And he only has a few minutes to get out of the water before he dies. What are his options? What can he do? There's nothing that he can do to save himself. He might be the best swimmer in the world, but there's no way that he can possibly reach land. He's miles and miles from anywhere. There's the flotsam and jetsam of the wreck all around him. There's wood, there's life belts, there's things that are floating, but they're not going to get him out of the water. They may keep him floating a little longer. They may make his last few minutes a little bit more comfortable, but they're not going to save him. Or there's a member of the rescue team from the Coast Guard station who's holding out his hand as he dangles on a rope from the rescue helicopter hovering above. And if this man floating in the icy Atlantic wants to live, that is his only option. And so he reaches out and he grabs the hand of his rescuer. He doesn't consider any other option, not for a second. He turns his back on every other possibility and he trusts himself exclusively to his rescuer, and he's saved. And that's what we do when we become Christians, when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we do what this woman did here. We give up any thought of saving ourselves, trusting in anything else, and we give ourselves completely and exclusively into the care of our rescuer, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this evening and you haven't done that yet, then that's what you need to do. Because at this moment, you are like that man in the water, and your doom is rapidly approaching. And you don't know how much longer you have left. But this evening, as you hear this message, Jesus Christ is holding out his hand to you and inviting you to take it and be saved just like this woman does. Because faith means not just believing that we are in desperate need, but faith means trusting in Jesus Christ to save us. And then thirdly and lastly, we see here that faith means growing in our understanding. Faith means growing in our understanding. Because this story shows us, this woman shows us, that true faith can be very mixed up. This woman 
is clearly confused. She is afraid to come openly to Jesus and ask him for his help. And so she wants to sneak up anonymously in the crowd. And she thinks that if she just touches his clothes without him knowing, then that will be enough somehow to transfer healing power from his clothes to her body. It it seems very likely that there's a bit of superstition and magic in her thinking here. Her faith is mixed up. Her faith is small, but her faith is real. When you strip away all her misconceptions, when you strip away her confusion and her superstition, she really is trusting Jesus to save her. What matters is not the strength of your faith. What matters most is what you put your faith in. Jesus said, if your faith is even just as small as a mustard seed, the smallest seed in the whole garden, then you can move mountains. You can do incredible things. Even if your faith is small, as long as it's real, as long as you place your faith in the right thing. You imagine two men who are trapped uh, upstairs in a burning building. And the firemen have arrived and they're down below on the ground and they have one of those big uh, trampoline type blanket things that you see in movies. I don't know if these are ever actually used, uh, but people jump into them and, and, and the firemen catch you at the bottom. And so they're, they're standing there with this blanket and they're calling to him, to the men to jump. And the first man jumps immediately. Absolutely no hesitation at all, no doubts, straight down, and he's safe. He's absolutely confident that they will catch him and that he'll be all right. The second man hesitates. He is filled with doubts. What, what, what if I miss? Uh, what, what if they can't hold me? What if I land awkwardly and break my neck in the fall? It, it's, a, it's a very, very long way down. I, I don't really like the idea of jumping off the top of this building. And, and he goes to jump and then he stops and he starts and he stops and he does this about 10 or 15 times. And eventually he manages to get himself to the edge and he closes his eyes, which maybe isn't a very sensible thing to do if you're aiming for a particular target and worried about missing it. But in the end, he jumps and they catch him. Which man is saved? They're both saved, aren't they? One of them had strong faith. The other one had very, very weak faith. But as long as they had enough faith, as long as they had true faith in the firemen below to jump, then they're saved. And that's what we see here in this story. This is a woman with weak faith, with confused faith, She has all kinds of strange ideas mixed in about how exactly she can be healed. But she has true faith. She has real faith in Jesus Christ. And she is a tremendous encouragement then for us. And especially if you're not a Christian this evening. 
And maybe you have all kinds of doubts and questions and you feel like there is so much about Christianity, about Jesus, about God that you don't understand. And this woman is a great encouragement to you. You don't need to read the whole Bible. You don't need to understand every part of the Bible. You don't have to have an exhaustive understanding of all theology and all Christian doctrine before you can trust Jesus Christ and be rescued from your sin. You just need enough faith to reach out to him and ask him to save you. And if you do that, he will save you. He will but obviously, it's better not to be mixed up. It's better to have strong faith than weak faith. It's better to have clarity rather than confusion. And that's why Jesus treats this woman in the way that he does. I wonder, does it seem strange to you? Did it seem odd? Did it, did it feel a wee bit unkind, the way that Jesus publicly embarrasses this poor woman? Hasn't she been through enough? When you think back to all the social and psychological burden that she's been carrying for the last 12 years, she just wanted to come up quietly, anonymously in the crowd, and touch Jesus and be healed and then go on her way. Why does Jesus force her to stand out publicly in front of the whole crowd and confess what she's done? It says in verse 33, she's trembling with fear. The poor woman. Why does Jesus not just give her a, a private little wink and a smile and, and let her go on her way? Maybe he can follow up with her quietly one-to-one -one later on. And the reason is because her faith needs to grow. It needs to be strengthened. Jesus wants her to grow in her understanding. She needs to know that she hasn't been saved by faith in Jesus' clothes but by her faith in him personally. He wants her to know that he cares for her personally and individually. This nameless, poor, marginalized woman matters to the Son of God. She needs to know that you can't be a disciple of Jesus anonymously. And maybe that's something that uh, some some people here need to hear this evening. It's a temptation for Christians today to trust Jesus to save them. They've become Christians. They've been saved from their sins, but then they kind of stall in their Christian life. They don't grow. and They, they, they carry on throughout their Christian life with all kinds of confused, strange misconceptions about God and about Jesus and about faith and about salvation and forgiveness and repentance and heaven and hell. Maybe they become Christians in secret. They don't want to tell anyone in case they're laughed at or mocked or even persecuted. And they think Maybe even someone here this evening thinks that you can come to Jesus for salvation and nobody needs to know and you can melt then quietly, anonymously back into the crowd again. Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. You've got to nail your colors to the mast. 
You've got to confess Jesus as Lord openly and publicly and unashamedly and serve him wholeheartedly. Why is it so important? Why should we make the effort to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding? Why can we not just settle for trusting Jesus to save us and leave it at that? It can be frightening, can't it, and difficult to push ourselves to acknowledge Jesus openly and publicly, just as it was for this woman. But this woman shows us why it matters, why it's worth it, because it brings great blessing. And as our understanding grows, as our faith is strengthened, we are enriched and we are blessed by God. And that's exactly what we see here. By overcoming her fear, this woman receives more blessing from God. She is healed physically, and that's wonderful. But better than that, she is strengthened spiritually. Look at what Jesus says to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That word peace It's one of the most beautiful words in all the Bible because it means complete wholeness, soundness, health, not just in our bodies, but in our souls, in our minds, in our emotions, in the very depth of our being. And this is the blessing that Jesus Christ holds out to every single one of us this evening either to those who have been Christians for many years or to those of you who perhaps are not yet Christians. If you put your trust in him, Jesus can say to you this very night, daughter, son, your faith has healed you and made you well. Go in peace. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving to us in your word this uh, record of uh, this woman who had faith in you. We thank you, O God, for uh, how you moved her to believe in Jesus Christ, that he was able to heal her, that she was able to trust in him, to reach out to him and to receive that healing And then the blessing that followed as she publicly confessed Jesus Christ before that crowd that day. And we pray, O God, that you would, in your mercy and in your grace, grant to every single person here that same faith. Faith to believe that we too, by nature, are in a situation of desperate need. And that only Jesus Christ is able to save us. We pray that each one of us will be trusting in him, reaching out and clinging to him alone for healing from all of our sins. And we pray, Lord God, that each of us would then be growing in our faith, being strengthened as we learn more about you, as we give ourselves to the study of your word, to prayer, to all the disciplines of the Christian life, through which you pour blessing and grace. We pray that we, each one, might go out from this place in peace this evening, 
that we would know the healing and the blessing, the soundness, the wholeness that comes through living by faith each day in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.